Welcome to the Branch Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Potts, the head of school at Tall Oaks Academy. We're a classical Christian school in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And our aim with this podcast is really simply just to be a resource to parents. We want to help parents um, who want to see their kids thrive. We want to see um, parents that are equipped to help their, their kids live for God, to be raised in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and ultimately go on into adulthood uh, knowing how to live as Christians. So because of that aim, we cover a wide variety of different topics, both in the realm of parenting, but also in the realm of education. Um, so um, if there are topics, I will say, if there are topics that you would like to hear us talk about on different episodes as you follow us, things that would be helpful to you, or if there are parents that you know that would benefit from hearing certain topics that we haven't talked about yet, please do feel free to email us at kenoshaoaks at gmail.com. That's kenoshaoaks, O-A-K-S, at gmail.com. You can also contact us there uh, if you have any positive or negative feedback on anything that we've talked about. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, And lastly, uh, before I introduce our guest that we have on the show today, um, if you do uh, listen to us, if you're listening to these episodes on whatever podcast platform you are listening on, if you could leave us a five-star review, of course, only if you like the content, Um, but if you would leave us a five-star review, that would be fantastic. That helps us grow as a podcast. Um, But also share the podcast with people that you know, parents that you know, that you think would benefit from this information. Um, So this is actually episode one of uh, the Branch Podcast, uh, and and we're coming in with a great topic. We've actually very intentionally chosen this topic um, to be the first episode, mainly because as educators, I think one of the questions we get asked the most is, how do we support our kids in terms of a foundation of reading? How do I help my kids learn how to read? How do I support them at home when they're going to school and they're either in those really, really early years or even as they grow and they're, and they're starting to uh, engage in some more challenging literature? And so uh, our guest is a, a very special guest on. She is um, a Uh, an educator. She uh, has a reading interventionist background, reading specialist. She's been in education for, correct me if I'm wrong, 19 years? 19 years. All right. So uh, Melissa Neiman uh, is our guest today. And so Melissa, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. I appreciate you um, asking me to be here today. All right. So why don't we just start with this? Can you give us a little bit more of just your background? I know I gave a very brief introduction. Can you give us your background, uh, how you got into these reading interventionist roles, um, reading specialist roles, and just kind of what your journey in education has been? Sure, absolutely. So I started teaching back when my kids um, were really little, got into subbing and just tried to get my feet wet in education. I always wanted to be a teacher growing up, you know, with my little chalkboards and teaching my neighborhood friends. Um, And that journey has been um, an interesting one. I really am a person who likes to uh, dig my roots really deep and stay in one place, but the Lord had different plans for me and I have kind of bopped over um, all over. So I started, like I said, subbing and then got into um, elementary education and then I moved to preschool, which I absolutely loved. And then um, eventually the Lord led me down a path about six years ago um, to be a reading um, teacher for a dual language school. And that was just a phenomenal um, experience for me, just working with um, ESL students and um, digging into what it means to build foundations um, in reading. 
growing up, I was a struggling reader. And so that was very challenging for me. I, I always remember I was in the Bluebird group. That was my label. I was in the Bluebird group and I so badly wanted to be in the Robin group. Um, and so just having that passion of like, you know what, I don't want um, other children to struggle like I did. So it's one of the reasons why um, I, I got into this. That's great. Great. It's, it's an interesting background. I think so many people that go into a certain profession, I mean, as you're talking about, it's because they struggled with something as they were growing up and they wanted to help, whether it's special education or, or you know, obviously for you reading a uh, specialist, you know, it's like, hey, I struggled with this growing up. I, I want to help, you know, in, in my career. And so they take that career path. So um, let, let's jump into things here. And, and we are going to get really practical here in terms of um, things that parents can do, I mean, immediately after listening to this podcast, but let's just lay a foundation first. Uh, I think a lot of people intuitively know why reading is so important, but let's just verbalize that. Let's talk about that for a minute because, um, it, you know, again, it's a question we get a lot, I think for multiple reasons, because again, intuitively parents know and educators know it's so foundational for setting kids up for success later on down the road, whether it's into adulthood or even just later into their educational careers. Um, but I think there is some ambiguity as well in terms of how do we how do we do this? What are the psychological things that are happening as well um, that, you know, that we can help support in terms of, you know, how do we build that foundation? You know, where do we even start? I think a lot of parents and I think even maybe some educators don't even know where to start with that. So um, again, we're going to get really practical, but again, let's lay a foundation of why, how would you verbalize that? Why is reading so important in our world? Well, first of all, you, you hit the nail on the head. Um, reading is important because it's our gateway into the world and it truly does lay that foundation for our children's future. So um, in order for the students to and children to develop their curiosity, their creativity, their imagination, they need to be read to. And that's really the beginning, right? It's parents who um, get out their favorite, <clears throat> excuse me, their favorite books from when they were little and, um, and talking with teachers about what their favorite books were and what, what is appropriate for that specific age level because it's a time for their parents and their children to truly bond. Um, and while they're bonding over this, this foundational piece, these children, they develop this love and the passion for it. And they're like, hmm, my parents are being great role models and they're reading to me. They're reading on their own. They're taking me to the library and, and encouraging me to pick out books. And now all of a sudden, I can go on all of these adventures, right? Without leaving your living room, you are going, you know, on journeys with Huck Finn and, and all of these different um, classical books, mm -hmm. right? right. Um, and so it's, it's first having that passion because if children don't have a passion for reading, then that's it. Because reading can be work, right? Yeah. Um, we have to be able to teach the letters, and then we teach the sounds, and then we teach them that, oh, wow, these letters that each have their own sound then make words, and then these words build sentences and sentences into paragraphs, and eventually you have stories. So children need to understand, and they eventually learn through the more that they read how that process works. Yeah. So you're just kind of speaking to that natural progression. It's sometimes maybe I, th I think we overcomplicate it, um, but really it is, you know, letters that then get formed into words that then get formed into sentences, paragraphs, and then eventually books. I mean, is that really just the natural progression? Is it that is. Simple? Yeah. 
great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully for sure. that's encouraging to parents. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, and you hit on, you know, imagination. That's not necessarily something that I've thought about too much. So I appreciate you saying that. You know, one of the things that, in terms of, you know, why I think reading is so important is just as an educator, when I was in the classroom, you know, one of the things that I noticed was kids that just struggled in general, uh, keeping up in any uh, any category, any subject area. The, the common denominator was that they struggled to read. Um, there, there is such a, um, a foundational piece to it. So if you are struggling to read, you're not going to be able to read the, even the directions in a math problem. Absolutely. Um, oh, I'm oh. sorry. That's what we're finding too. Like in, in all of the, the middle school and the elementary school, it's like, wow, there's, there's reading in everything. And so you're right. right. If you struggle in that one area, then it's going to make all the other subjects hard as well. And um, you touched on the imagination. I have found that over the years, children have like lost this ability to be able to see images in their head. Um, just the other day, I was talking with one of my students and about reading books, and I was talking to them about, so when you're reading a book, do you see the movie like playing in your head? And she's mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? I was like, well, you know, when we when we read it and we talk about like what the person is wearing or where it's taking place, like do you actually see that in your in your mind? And she's like, No. Wow. So that just was a light bulb moment for me and I was like, Okay, well we need to get back <laughs> and right. kind of teach you and show you how to dive into literature and be able to take those pieces out so you can have that movie play in your head. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. That's great. All right. Let's, let's go ahead and get really practical here then. Uh, and I think probably for the rest of the podcast, all of this will be very practical. Um, so from a young age, what are some of the things that you, you would say that parents can do to actually help their kids build that foundation? So we're not thinking, you know, high school, middle school quite yet, but you know, even the early years, they haven't learned how to read yet. Um, maybe they haven't even hit schooling age yet. How do, how do parents start their kids? And I think you maybe have hit on some of this already, but are, is there anything else that you would say in regards to that? How do we support them at those very young ages? Yeah, for sure. So as I mentioned before, just developing that love and that passion for reading. So I would encourage parents to fill your home with books. Mm. So before um, the children are born, I know it's a common practice nowadays to instead of a card, you know, pick out your favorite book and write a message, you know, to the to the new child that's going to be entering the world. And so that's a great way to have your home library. Um, and then a great way too for your child to see your friend's favorite books. So um, that's just one of the first things that you can do um, with little children I love our public libraries let me just tell you that they put on some phenomenal programming so take advantage of that I did that with my children when they were little we used to luckily it was in the neighborhood and we were able to walk to the library um, once a week for I think they had tot time and you know all these different things they have summer programs and activities where you can make slime so anytime that you can um, make reading fun and like connect it to something else um that is just going to be more memorable. And ultimately, um, children, it's monkey see, monkey do, right? So they need to see their parents reading. So parents, please, please, please read in front of your children. So um, they need to see that you put it as a priority, and it's okay to take that time, 15, 20, 30 minutes a day, 
to relax and to read your favorite book and they can pick their favorite book and just read right next to you. Yeah. So it doesn't always have to be together. They need to see you reading your books too. Yeah. And I'm assuming you would agree with this, but I know one of the things that I've noticed at home is, you know, my wife and I have books on our phone or we'll read the Bible on our phones. But the question is, do our kids know that those are books that we're reading? Or do they know that we're actually reading on our phones? Or does it just look like we're busy doing things, scrolling social media? And so I would definitely advocate for read an actual physical book. Have that in your hands because that's what they're going to connect. Absolutely. Absolutely. That physical book in the hand. I mean, I prefer physical books because... I just love to to be able to turn the page and hold the book in my hand. Um, But children especially, they need to have the physical books in their hand because there's a lot of things that they learn from actually holding a book. Mm -hmm. They learn about the front cover and the back cover and the spine and how to turn the page. Those are all really important skills that they need um, when they're young. And so to a child, when you're on your phone, yes, it just looks like, oh, mommy and daddy are on their phone, you know? Um, So unless maybe you have them snuggled up next to you and you know, you're showing them, but I'm definitely an advocate for the books in the hand. Yeah. (laughs) And we'll hit on a little bit more of that later on too, just in terms of reading on screens and what that looks like. But you know, just the other thing too, that I would say, you know, we, in, in terms of developing that love and passion at home, I know my, again, my wife and I, we just, you know, set aside time for reading aloud to our kids. And, you know, some of these books that we're reading to them, we have a a four, a three, and then a nine-month-old, our four and three-year-old, they have books memorized. Not that they know how to read quite yet. You know, they're not at that age yet, but they'll repeat the books back to us word for, it's, it's amazing how much of a sponge they are. Um, and, but they're, you, you clearly see they're developing that love as you're setting aside that time. And I think part of it too, is actually selecting good quality books, good quality stories. There's some really boring stuff out there as a classical school. We talk about this quite a bit reading we'll call them living books. And maybe we'll do another episode on what exactly that means. But really, you know, the main emphasis is it's a good quality story, stories that are going to pull them in. Um, it's not just going to tell them exactly what is happening, but it's going to require them to make inferences. It's going to spark discussion between you and your kids. And as you do that, and as they connect with you in that context, I think that's where they really develop that love. Absolutely. The, the types of books that you pick are crucial. We do need to have more um, really engaging books, those classical books, mm-hmm. um, and books that are going to allow them to be creative and use their imagination. So we all have we all have our favorites growing up and I think that's just really the best place to start. And we're going to talk about this a little bit later, um, I'm hoping, but having the kids pick out books and having them, you know, decide what's their favorite. Yeah, right. Is yeah, important that's, that's important. We will hit on that in a little bit here. Um, but just to, before we move on to the next question, the thing that I love about this and again, hopefully is encouraging to parents is this is simple. You know, actually, I mean, read aloud time and reading with our kids at home has become such a joy and a delight for my wife and I, because again, it's not like you have to know all of these complicated um, philosophies of teaching them how to read. It's actually just something that, you know, you know how to read, you're modeling that for them and they're developing such a love for it. And it's, and it's fun. And especially if you're, I mean, there are some books that 
that are, yes, books that we're reading to a four and three year old, but I actually really enjoy the books, even as an adult, you know, and so um, it's it's not we don't need to overcomplicate this. And I love the fact that it's not overcomplicated. It can be a really simple thing of building that foundation. Right. And let me just say, it doesn't have to be little kids that you read to as well. I read through to my kids all the way through middle school. I mean, it was it was awesome. We read through the whole Narnia series. We read Ginger Pie. I mean, there were so yeah. many books and we would just snuggle up on the bed and we would just read together. And so again, it doesn't have to be just those little kids, although definitely we need to start there. But when you do, you build that foundation and you right. just continue to do it. And right. it's just, wow, they're already through middle school yeah. and we're still doing this. So yeah. it's it's pretty awesome. Yeah, I've heard stories of, of parents that would, you know, they, they have their kids going to bed in separate bedrooms, but then they'll they'll set up a chair in the hallway and then they'll read Pilgrim's Progress in the hallway, but their kids can hear it in, you know, in the room while or in their bedrooms while they're going to bed. And it's like, oh, that's such a beautiful picture. Yes. Um, all right, let's move on to the next question. Again, another practical thing here. Um, why do you think it is, you know, we're always going to, especially as educators, we know this, we're going to have a, a group of maybe 10, 15, possibly 20 kids come into our classroom. They're going to be at a wide range of different reading levels. And when we're thinking about those kids that are coming into our classroom or, or just, of course, for parents that know, yeah, my kid's a little bit behind. What are some of the reasons that you know of that really cause that struggle? And, and maybe leaving aside, you know, some of the, um, uh, disabilities or, you know, reasons like dyslexia or things like that. What are some of the other reasons why you think kids just struggle to read in general? Yeah. So there are a lot of reasons why kids struggle to read. And so sometimes it's just as simple as they don't like it. Right. Um, they tell you, well, I don't want to read and I don't like to read, but Mm. for those children, I would just say, you know what, give that that child the opportunity to find books that they do like. Um, And so sometimes we we try to force our kids like, oh, well, I love this book as a kid. Or, um, well, your brother loved this book. Or, you know, I read this, you know, when, when, you know, your little sister, you know, was born or whatever. So we try to like force literature into our children. Like we think we know what they're going to like, but they need to find that niche. So exposing them to a lot of genres is really, really important. Um, they need to have that freedom of going to the library. And again, you know, we have some phenomenal public libraries just going there and picking out books that they want to read. Don't tell them, oh, that's too easy. You can't read that. Or that's too hard. Don't choose that book. Truly let them have the freedom. And if it's a graphic novel or a comic book or a magazine, reading is reading and we need them to fall in love with reading before we can, you know, ask them to do anything else. Right. Right. Um, that's the, that's the main purpose. They have to love it first and find that passion. Um, and so that would just be one of the first reasons why kids struggle just because they don't like it. Um, another reason why I feel that students struggle is because it's just too hard. Right. So sometimes things come really easy to kids and reading can be hard. It can be work. right? Right. So, Sometimes, yes, kids kids can pick up on reading and they're like, wow, my three-year-old is reading. And then, you know, you have another parent who has a six-year-old who's like totally struggling. Right. Well, that six-year-old is probably doing really well in another area and they may just need more time or more work put into reading. And so... Um, with those types of students, you just need to be patient with them, right? You need to encourage them and let them know that they're not behind. They're not, um, there's nothing wrong with them. It's just going to take a little bit longer 
to, yeah. to catch up, but they're going to have to put in the work. Yeah. Right? And I love that point too. Just, you know, if it is too hard there, I mean, there's a couple things on that. Number one, that's the time when we as parents can become the cheerleader, you know, not to say, oh, it's too hard. So you don't have to do it, but to come alongside them, be their cheerleader and encourage them and help them along and help them also realize that it, like you said, it is okay if they're a little bit behind. And maybe we don't even phrase it or word it that way. I think sometimes we can be so fo- hyper-focused on you have to be at exactly your grade level You know, by the time you hit that grade. And of course, we are mindful of those things, and that's important. Um, but sometimes we can hyper-focus on those things, and it can be really discouraging to kids as well. Absolutely. When, they're, when their peers are reading you know, other books and they're like, oh, well, I can't read that. It's, like I said, it's really important to make sure that we're mindful of that. And I just want to talk about audiobooks. I love audiobooks. Um, I feel like kids who think that reading is hard or they really struggle with comprehending. I was one of those kids. Like I could read a paragraph six times in my head and it never made sense to me. And then my teacher would call on me to read out loud and then I wouldn't know the first word. So then I would get in trouble for not paying attention. I was like, but I know where we're at. I just don't know that word. Sure you do, you know? Yeah. And so um, I'm a big advocate of audiobooks so long as the physical book is in that child's hand. Um, so then I was, I was talking with someone and I said, you know, there's some magic that happens when a child hears the word and then reads the word on the page at the same time, like it, it clicks yeah. for them. Right. And so, um, I would encourage the use of audiobooks. Um, I know that's one thing that really helped me, um, as I got older, um, just for comprehension purposes and for that fluency as well. Okay. Yeah, no, that's great. And I actually did not really use audio. I mean, I'm not, I never really have used audiobooks very much. So in terms of audiobooks, would you say that most books that are available are are available in the audio version as well? Is that pretty easy to find? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, if you go to um, a public school, there's a lot of times where... Um, there's apps like Sora and different things like that that the students have free access to. But again, our public libraries, they're amazing. And so they have Libby, they have Overdrive, yeah. um, and children's books, graphic novels, they're all on there. Um, adults too, like I listen to a lot of my books. So while I'm doing the dishes or cleaning the house or whatever, like yeah. I'll be listening to a book because um, I don't necessarily have the time to, right now to sit down yeah. and read um, a physical book. So um, yes. Children's. So we're, not, so we're not talking about CDs or cassettes or anything. Like most of these are actually on apps now and in digital versions, very accessible and easy to find. Absolutely. And if you, well, maybe not cassette tapes, but if you want to do um, CDs, um, Scholastic, you know, they have phenomenal um, resources at a great price. And that's how I built up my classroom library. Um, so I had the CDs for the students and then a little listening center with a basket of books. So books, CDs, and then the CD player. And then I just showed the kids how to use it. And that's great. Yeah. So what would you say? I just, I can envision and imagine some parents that might say, okay, I want it. I can do audio books, but eventually my kid needs to know how to actually read on paper. Mm-hmm. If, if they object in that way and they want to stay away from audiobooks for that reason because they're afraid that maybe if they're only doing audiobooks, they're never actually going to learn to read for themselves, how would you respond to that objection? Yeah, that is you know up to the parents, right? And mm-hmm. so we, we want to make sure that we're doing what's best for our kids. And so if we don't want to get technology involved right away, then I would say get two copies of the book. 
right? So then parents, you're reading to your child and they're following along and they can do like an echo reading, right? So you're going to read a sentence and then they're going to read a sentence. And so they can follow along with their finger. So young readers, they need to make sure that um, they learn like this one-to-one correspondence. So they're pointing to the word, excuse me, as you're saying it. And then, you know, then they'll say that word. And so that's one way to help build that. So again, hearing it and seeing it and then using their finger to point. Great. Yeah. So it's not one or the other. It's, it's both. And it's, it's all together, right? Absolutely. Great. So you've hit uh, a few different things of, you know, reasons why kids struggle to read. And some of these are tied into how we can help them if they are struggling. Is there anything else you would add to that? You know, I have a kid that's struggling to read, maybe a little bit behind at home. Any other tips for how we can support them? So there is always the option, too, of either talking with your child's teacher or some family members and getting a tutor. So depending on how far behind your child is and if you're like, wow, you know, they really struggle to work with me or... um, I don't, I don't want, I don't know how to do it. Right. And so you can get an expert. And so you can go to your local district and say, "Hmm, who are the reading interventionists in my area? You know, and a lot of times reading interventionists will do at home tutoring, um, or they'll tutor out the library or things like that. So you do that, right? I do. (laughs) (laughs) I do do that. So, um, cause I think it's really important. And I, like, again, I have a really, um, strong connection to struggling readers. And so I'm like, yes, I don't want anybody to have to go through that. So definitely getting, um, getting them involved as well um, is important in using them as a resource. Great, great. All right, let's go on to the next thing. I know we uh, kind of hit on this a little bit before, but what do you think about reading on screens? I know we talked about it with, you know, kids seeing their parents on phones, but, you know, it has become popular. You know, we, there's iPads out there. I know in a lot of public districts, Um, you know, students all have their own device now. And so a lot of the reading is happening on screens. And I personally haven't done a ton of research on, you know, if that, if that's a good thing, if that's a bad thing, if maybe there's a mixture of both, if it's okay to a certain extent. So what are your thoughts surrounding that? Yeah, for sure. So I've already shared my opinion. I think physical books are definitely the way to go, especially in the younger years, um, because there's so much that they can learn from that. Um, when children get a little bit older and they're already fluent readers um, and they already have you know their comprehension strategies and such if they choose to read online i think that's a personal preference now i will say that the research shows that reading online strains your eyes um, Mm -hmm. and it makes it more challenging for um, children and adult readers to comprehend what's on the screen. And so just just the way that um, it's presented is not as clear um, as having that physical book in your hand. So just realize like, hmm, that may not be the best option. Although I'm sure that there's research that could argue both sides. Right. You know, th- what I've studied definitely says physical books are the way to go, especially when they're learning to read. Yeah, yeah. Even uh, just from an adult perspective, th- thinking practically, reading on my phone, how many not I mean, I just had a notification come in. I'm sure you heard it on my computer. You know, those notifications are coming in or they're just popping up. It's so, it can be so distracting or even not just notifications, but knowing that, okay, I'm reading this right now, but there's that temptation. I know there's this game I could play on this app if I just swipe the screen and go and play that game. So I think it could decrease the stamina, the focus and things like that. Whereas when you just have that physical book in your hand, it's not necessarily easy to stay focused. That does require some self-discipline, but 
it's a little bit easier. That's I think that's for sure. Absolutely, absolutely. You you uh, you said that when the notifications go off and stuff, it's so easy and so tempting just to be like, oh well, what did what did they say? Right. So I I agree with you there. Um, the other thing is is you mentioned our kids being one to one. We've been through some traumatizing years these past couple of years, and. Um, our students have been forced to be on technology for five, six, seven, eight hours plus a day, plus the TV that they get at home. And so kids need a screen break. And so reading is just an amazing option for them to take that break. Yeah. Get in, like we were talking about earlier, imagination, getting into a whole nother world, right? Reading a fictional book and Getting yourself outside of reality for a little bit, right? <laughs> Absolutely. All right, great. Um, all right, so again, we've hit on this a little bit, but let's talk a little bit more about this because I think this is an important balance for us to uh, really figure out how often should we tell kids that you know what they need to read as opposed to letting them choose. I know you did talk a little bit about letting them choose you know, when they go to the library, especially if they're struggling or they're saying, um, they don't like it. You know, that was kind of what you said tied to that answer is that's why they struggle to read because they don't like it. So let's let them have a little bit more freedom in maybe the genre or the books that they're choosing. But at the same time, as parents, we also know that there is some really important pieces that they should read for various reasons. I mean, especially I think as they get older, you know, there are some monumental pieces that I think everyone should read. But again, what, what, how would you describe that balance? Sure. So if we lay the foundation of building the the love of literature, then students as they get older will go out and experience more, right? So we need to make sure that when they're young and they're so influential that we are giving them as much choice as possible. So yes, teachers may expect your children to to read certain books. Um, You as parents may expect your children to read certain books. But first... First, let's make sure that they are good solid readers and that they do love reading. But that's not to negate like their passion. So if they have, you know, Pilgrim's Progress, for example, you had mentioned that book earlier. Yeah. Well, I understand that Pilgrim Progress also has like a graphic novelish version or um, they have different levels of that book. So maybe give your child some freedom in hmm, what's going to be more appropriate for them to read. It's amazing how many classic books that they're that they're turning into graphic novels right now. Wow. And not saying that graphic novels are you know 100% and the guess the only thing that they should read is graphic novels. But if that's what is going to grab their attention, and then for them to maybe dig a little deeper, like start there, and then now let's read this. Right. Um, and the other thing is it's never too old. You know, their children are never too old to read together. And so if you're expecting them to read a piece of literature, maybe start reading it together to really get them involved. So there is a balance of, yes, you know, um, they should be able to choose what they're going to read, but respect for, okay, yes, we expect you to read this as well. So right. Right. Yeah, these are, this is your freedom time and this uh-huh. is your expectation time. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, even just in my experience personally as a reader, I mean, I had a lot of freedom in what I could choose as I was younger, but I, I wasn't, I didn't love to read. I mean, I was probably similar to you in that sense. I didn't love to read. I didn't actually really develop a love for reading probably until mid-college. And, and it's funny because, <laughs> you know, that's that's when I started to really read some of the more monumental pieces, which I absolutely fell in love with, like the classical pieces that I just never read when I was younger. 
Um, but that's really what produced a lot of like that's when I that's kind of the moment in my life when I really felt like I actually started to develop a lot of wisdom and I learned a lot more than I ever did just through those pieces. So, you know, we have a value of those things, but event, you know, building up our foundation to get to those pieces is really important. I like kind of the balance you're talking about of allowing that flexibility so that eventually those doors to those bigger pieces are open. Um, some of our listeners may not know just because you were talking about graphic novels. Can you just describe what a graphic novel is? Sure. So a graphic novel is a book that's written more in like a comic book format, right? So it's mainly images um, with little bits of text. So it's like conversations that happen between the characters. So if you think comic book, Hmm. and then you think of that in a full book format. Okay. So um, a novel comic book. Yeah. So as these classical pieces are being written in graphic novels, would you feel like the the graphic novel really does still get the give you the gist of the story and the book, but it's just less text or So yes, I'm going to I'm going to overall say yes because I think that graphic novels depending on your child's learning style. So there are a lot of visual learners that are out there um and and so they're able to read the details of the pictures way better than picking out the details in a written format. And so I would say that for for some children, graphic novels, yes, can definitely relay that same message. Um, Good um, authors of graphic novels um, add those details in there. Um, And so they're just really engaging for those students who learn best that way. And um, yeah. They, they definitely serve the same purpose. So there is something, though, I will say, for stamina. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that word earlier. Yeah. Stamina is tr- so important. You know, we want to start, um, as teachers, usually in the beginning of the year, it's like, okay, I want you to read for 30 seconds without interrupting. Yeah. You know, just 30 seconds nonstop. And then the next day, it's like, okay, so now we're going to try one minute. And so we really want to build up that stamina um, and actually reading the entire time. So there is some importance, a lot of importance on that piece as well, because, you know, as we get older, right, there's not as many pictures in our books that we have right. to read. Right. And so we do need to make sure that they can build up that stamina of being able to read through um, a long passage. However, during fun time or during, you know, free choice or whatever, having those graphic novels or even pairing graphic novels with, um, with the regular um, book novel um, is... Yeah, is very helpful as well. Yeah, great. All right, so just a couple other questions here as we wrap up. Um, again, very practical. You know, a lot of times, especially as a classical school, we talk about not bribing kids or incentivizing kids through candy for good behavior, but really focusing on building habits in kids and habit training, you know, because that's going to be what is shaping them as individuals rather than almost like a behavior modification sort of thing. So when you're thinking about building healthy reading habits in kids, how do you, and and really tied to this is, you know, how do we get kids to be self-motivated in terms of reading? I think you've hit on some of them, like giving them flexibility in what they read, but are there any other things that maybe you would highlight in terms of just building up that habit in kids so that, you know, as they get older, it's just becomes something that we don't have to ask them to do, but they just do on their own? Absolutely. So I'm going to start with, um, with some foundational things because I wanted to touch on this a little bit earlier and then I forgot. So <laughs> I'm like, okay, so these are some really fun things. So you can make reading and learning, right, fun. And that's really 
the best way to do it. You can make a game out of it. Yeah. And so some of the things that I like to do um, with my own kids and um, my grandkids one day, right, is um, different games like who has more, right? So you just get a set of um, index cards. You write their high-frequency words on them, which you can get from the internet. You can get from your child's teacher. Um, and say, okay, you have five seconds to read this word. And then if they read the word correctly, then they get to keep it. And if they don't read it correctly, then you get to keep it. And whoever has more, <clears throat> excuse me, at the end wins that little game, right? Goldfish, you know, play goldfish with your sight words. Yeah. You can play a memory game. So things like that, making games out of it, writing the words in um, sand or with chalk, all these fun things that are tactile um, are really important and it makes it fun for the kids. Like, oh, jumping through hula hoops while I spell my words, like, that's actually fun, right? Yeah. Um, but what I did for, um, for some of my nieces and uh, nieces and nephews and my own kids was build um, outside activities around a book. So if I was reading, if I give a moose a muffin, mm -hmm. then we'd be making muffins that night, right? <laughs> Great. Um, and so if you are reading The Three Little Pigs, so um, you can also read the the book that um, by A. Wolf, right? The True Story, right? Yep. Of the Three Little Pigs by A. Wolf. So you read both of those books, and then you can build the different houses out of you know toothpicks or straw or whatever it is. So getting those tactile activities in and those fun activities, arts and crafts in with the books, yep. that really makes it. Um, more fun for the children and it motivates them like oh what activity are we going to do this week right it's right? tangible yes it? yeah, absolutely that's great. yeah i know with our kids there we we do the i don't know if you know the toot and puddle books yes but they're yeah classics and you know there anytime there's food in those books it's like okay what are we making tonight you know the other night it was three berry cobbler like that's what we had to do for dessert because it was in the toot and puddle book so yeah they love that tangible piece to it all right Great. So, um, and actually before we move on, I'm going to go off script a little bit here um, because you mentioned sight words and I've heard some people object to sight words because they think that you're not actually learning to sound those words out, but you're just memorizing what they look like. Is there, what, how do you feel about that? I, I, I don't really know, you know, how to think about that objection. Okay. So there are some words when we, when we use the word sight words, it can be two different Two different meanings right so sight words mean that oh wow those are high frequency words those are words that we see a lot like i a and but and those words you can typically sound out right mm -hmm. right um because you can teach those individual sounds and then it's like b uh or and and you hear all of those words for high frequency words we see them a lot yeah. then we also have um words like night n-i-g-h-t well, can't really sound that one out. <laughs> you can't sound it out. So wood, that's another one. And so when you think about those types of words, you're like, hmm, okay. So we can't sound those words out, but I know that my child needs to learn how to read those words. And so those words um, would be more like those sight words. Like, okay, I, I need to learn how to look at this word and see it right. um, versus being able to read it. Um, quickly and sounding, you know, without sounding it out. Yeah. So there's a little bit of a difference there. I will tell you there's benefit um, to sight words um, and just being able to get them under that three seconds. We start five seconds, right? Under five seconds, you have to read the word, but ultimately it needs to be under three seconds. Um, and then um, we need to be able to build those words into the books that the child is reading. So when, whenever you isolate a skill, um, it's harder for the children to be able to 
recognize it down the road. Mm -hmm. But um, if you incorporate it into a book that's using those words frequently, then it helps to make um, the connection. It's like, oh, I remember when I read if you give a moose a muffin and if was one of my sight words. So then I can, and you. So if and you were my sight words and then it's in that book. Sure. So when you choose books or you read those little books, maybe you know highlight some of those words that you want to work on with your child. Yeah. So as we're teaching our oldest to sound out her name, Vivian, uh, you know, we start with that first letter. She knows the letter V. Mm-hmm. So then every time we read, she's finding all the V's in, in the text. I mean, that's kind of what you're yes. talking about, right? Yes, absolutely. Great. Okay, so let's wrap up here. Just the last question. You know, we uh, we just finished the school year. This is actually your first day off on summer break. Um, but as we're launching into the summer, um, what would you suggest to parents? You know, a lot of times educators will talk about the summer reading gap mm-hmm. um, where you know especially with their standardized test scores you see kind of you know that progression throughout the year and then that first standardized test in the next year maybe there's a little bit of a dip um, because maybe there's not quite as much reading happening during the summer so what would you suggest to parents for either avoiding that or just supporting them over the summer when they're not in school Absolutely. So reading at home definitely needs to become a culture, right? So reading that 20 minutes, um, there's there's a st- statistic that's out there that says, you know, if you read 20 minutes a day, right, that you read or are exposed to 1.8 million words that year. Isn't that incredible? Wow. Yeah. You know, and then as you brought up standardized testing, I wasn't originally going to say this, but if you can read for 20 minutes and they're exposed to that 1.8 million words for that year, that typically equivalates them to the 90th percentile on a standardized test. Wow. So it just goes to prove. And then it also talks about five minutes versus one minute. So the more reading that you do, you know, the better your vocabulary is and the more that you're exposed to. So, um, so that's definitely you know, important. So 20 Um, minutes a day. Yes. 20 minutes a day, at least for sure in solid reading. Um, and the other thing is I read a book a few years back, talked about summer reading loss. And I talked about, you know, students, um, choosing books and, you know, definitely going to the library, like we talked about, but it also talked about experiences. So what separates like a good reader from an excellent reader to a struggling reader is that those experiences and the background knowledge. And so, I would encourage families to go to the zoo, go to summer camp, go to the water park. And if you can't afford those things, then go on an adventure in your own town. So go to the different parks and explore, like talk about the types of trees and the flowers or camp in your backyard, right? So go to the parades and the civic center and things like that. So there's lots that you can do in your town. So experiences are so much more important than... um, than what we give them credit for. And those are the memorable pieces that they're going to stay con- that they're going to stay connected to those things as they go on in their life that they're going to you know it, we have to create those memorable experiences. For absolutely. Them. Yeah. Absolutely. And then, you know, there is actually reading involved in those too, right? So, if you're going to be putting up a tent, we'll read the directions together or at least point them out. Yeah. Right? Like, hey, okay, here's the instructions. So, even as adults, I have to follow instructions, right? So, yeah, lots of lots of great experiences and connection building. Yeah, great. All right. So those are all very helpful things. Again, um, for our listeners, we tried to be as practical as we could in this podcast episode. Um, It's been all hopefully very helpful and practical. And I think um, all of our listeners have, they have their marching orders. So into the summer and on into um, the rest of their kids' educational careers. Um, And as I said in the introduction, uh, if there is any feedback or further questions that you have 
for anything that we talked about today, please do reach out to us at kenoshaoaks at gmail.com. That's Kenosha, O-A-K-S at gmail.com. Um, otherwise, thanks for joining us today and go get busy raising the next generation the right way.